Well, I've got some bad news for you. You, yes, you the listener, just fouled out of the Champions Classic. I apologize. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Locked On Spartans. It is Wednesday, November 6, 2019. I am your host, Will Hunter, and it is actually Wednesday as I sit here and record this because uh, for some reason, for some reason, the NCAA likes to have its showcase tip-off event start at uh, 10 p.m. Have one of the games start after 10 p.m. every single year without fail. Um, Yeah, it is great. We've got a lot of things to talk about in that regard. Uh, On today's show, we're going to be locked in 100% on the Champions Classic on Michigan State, losing to Kentucky. 69-62 is the final score. Yeah, 69-62, a lot of things to talk about. Uh, I want to start by just absolutely ripping the NCAA and its officiating because it is the same story year in and year out, and I've been tired of it for a long time. I did some version of this uh, last year, I'm sure a number of times, but I'm just going to keep doing it. I'm going to keep shouting this from the rooftops until my platform gets bigger and bigger and bigger to the point where I can just have anyone who needs to hear me hear me that the NCAA is absolutely wrecking college basketball from an enjoyment standpoint. So going to talk about that and won't spend a ton of time on it, but do need to address that. Uh, Spend the rest of the show talking about the actual basketball that we eventually got to see played uh, in quick bursts between whistles. I was really disappointed. You know, I, I wanted to see some more calls. I wanted to see some more officiating. And then out of nowhere, a game of basketball broke out. Super disappointing. But we'll talk about it. Um, some thoughts on things that didn't go well for Michigan State. Some thoughts on things that did go well. Uh, there is absolutely positively zero reason to take anything in terms of panic from that game. <laughs> like if you are worried about the, this team, the long-term prognosis, like we got to smash the brakes. Not We're not pumping the brakes. We are smashing the brakes. So we're going to talk about that here uh, on today's show in segments two and three. Of course, a reminder to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Subscribing is the easiest way to get these episodes to your phone every single day. All right, let's uh, call out these idiots in the NCAA. Okay, so um, I don't know who is, let me say this, <laughs> let me just say this this way. If you're going to have uh, a marquee tip-off event for your college basketball season, right? Football, college football is the, the big sport, the big money maker. College basketball is number two. A lot of eyes on the sport. You have what, you know, a season that culminates in the most watched tournament in America, everyone's favorite tournament, uh, if you take out like UEFA Champions League from soccer and the World Cup, but World Cup's not annual. we'll, We'll eliminate the Champions League tournament. It's like the biggest, most popular tournament in sports in the world. I I think I could be wrong. Anyway, you've got this massive, important product that generates all this revenue, all this money that you don't share with the players. And 
you've got this wonderful idea, a really, a truly wonderful idea. Start the season every single year with the Champions Classic, four of the absolute premier teams in college basketball. Madison Square Garden, the the most famous basketball arena in the country. No football on outside of Tuesday night action, which would have been more enjoyable to watch. Uh, Western Michigan and Ball State played a classic, it sounds like. (laughs) But you've got this wonderful event. Tons of pros in the building, future pros in the building. Every single NBA team's got a scout there. It is what should be just a beautiful collection and celebration of college basketball. And the NCAA just finds a way to botch it. And in the, in a way that only the NCAA can screw up an event that is so obviously a home run, easily a massive home run uh, for their sport, for the entire sport. Because what we just watched, if I wasn't uh, a Michigan State follower, if I didn't have an investment in this team, and for me, you know, I am a, a fan certainly of Michigan State, but primarily it's my job to watch them. If it wasn't my job to watch Michigan State, I would have turned that basketball game off eight minutes in, and I would have watched Western Michigan play Ball State in college football. I would have. Um, that was an unenjoyable, slug, terrible, awful display of something that was a perversion of basketball. Kentucky's free throw rate in the first half was 80.8, 80%. And at one point before, like, and if you take out the, the heave at the end of the half, it was 83%. They had 20 field or free throw attempts for 24 field goal attempts. That is absolutely insane. It's not even basketball. And it's something that happens. It's not just, uh, I want to say this, it's not just uh, uh, a one-time-off thing here, right? or a one-off thing. This is an issue in college basketball, not just with Michigan State, with every college basketball team all over the country, year in, year out. So many games, so many huge, important, big games are rendered completely unwatchable by a neutral observer because of the officiating. And the sick part of it is they call these games this way because they want the game to be better. They want it to have more flow. We're in like year eight of this. And it has been the exact same every single time. The entire regular season is just filled with slogs, absolute terrible basketball games where teams are in the double bonus with eight minutes left and a half. And then what always happens, and this is the most frustrating part, is whatever happens in the first half, the exact opposite happens in the second half for like a stretch, for a 12-minute stretch, and then they revert to whatever happened in the first half. It is so frustrating because they're aware. They know we've called too many fouls, and yet they still keep doing it. Game in and game out, half of Michigan State's games this year will be unbearable for 10-minute stretches, for 14-minute stretches. And that sucks. As someone who likes watching basketball, as someone who enjoys the free-flowing nature of the game, when it is at its absolute peak 
It's a beautiful game. The passing, the movement, back and forth, fast breaks, all that stuff, the speed of it, the pace of it, all of that is dragged into the mud and strangled, absolutely strangled, because the NCAA refuses, refuses to coach their officials to not call every single thing that looks like it might potentially be a foul. It feels like every single year, there's a new emphasis on something that will slow the game down even further. It is so frustrating. Like these kids, part of the beauty of college sports uh, at any any level, uh, D1 to D3, you know, power five football to whatever is because these kids that are, are 18 to 22 years old, they are incredibly, incredibly talented. And they're all, for the most part, really bad at their sport when you compare it to a professional level. Okay. There's this wonderful, beautiful mix that results in chaos and just the most unbelievable things, upsets, amazing plays from the people you least expect it, heartbreaking moments. The The beauty of college football is just that uh, contradiction. They're all so good, and yet they are nowhere near as good as they one day will be, can be, should be, right? And to officiate them, to police them as if they have to be perfect in every single aspect on the defensive side, when setting screens, when going up for a rebound, is just asinine. And they are getting exactly, exactly what they're what they are putting rules out for. And it is the exact opposite of its intended goal. I appreciate the fact that they want to open up the game. I appreciate the fact they want less hand checking, a more free-flowing, beautiful game. But clearly, clearly, over-officiating games is not the way to do it. And for them to throw that product out there in terms of officiating on the showcase night at Madison Square Garden, number one and number two in the AP poll, playing a game where they are just walking back and forth between the free throw lines, when you've got potential first-round picks on both teams having to sit out 17 minutes of the first half, 10 minutes of the first half because they pick up two fouls. That is bad for the game. It is so dumb and stupid, and it just feels like the NCAA refuses to acknowledge that their plan to open up the game backfired on them and that it's not working and they need to cut it back. They need to stop over officiating these kids because it's ruining the game it has become so difficult to watch a college basketball game that involves teams that I'm not either obligated to watch for a job or like last year years have passed like if it wasn't a Michigan State game or a huge game I'm not watching it because it's unwatchable because it's just walking back and forth between free throw lines, minute and a half spurts, then whistle, 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 whistle until the first half ends, and it's just terrible basketball. The kids are not good enough yet to police them like that. They don't even do it in the NBA, 
and they're so much better at basketball than the college kids. Let them make mistakes. Do not officiate every single little thing. It's going to even out over time. If you're if you're putting away the whistle, if you're letting the game play out over time, there will be missed calls and just the the laws of math say that it'll even out. It'll end up being fair over a long sample size. Just stop. You're ruining the game. You're making what should be an, an incredible fun game that people should be tuning into all the time. You're making it completely unbearable and unwatchable. And that's what we got for the the first half tonight and then for stretches in the second half. And it totally sucks. And it ruined, it absolutely ruined what should have been a fantastic night of college basketball uh, in the Champions Classic. All right. I'm going to step off the old uh, soapbox there and uh, readjust, refocus, and we're going to come back and we're going to talk about Michigan State because I know that's what you wanted to hear. I think some of you also wanted to hear me lay into the NCAA a little bit. Um, I'm glad I did it, but we're going to move on here and talk about Michigan State in just a second. All right, so that wasn't the most fun game to watch, but I think there are definitely some things that we can sort of glean from that, that we can learn about this team, some areas of concern to definitely talk about, but there's also some real positives to take from it. Um, and, and really, honestly, I, I can't stress this enough because of the officiating, the officiating is not why Michigan state lost per se. Like I, I think they're pretty equally bad both ways. Maybe a couple bigger calls went Kentucky's way and that for, for whatever that matters, whatever role that plays in the game, maybe it tilted the scales a little bit for Kentucky, but Kentucky had the best player on the floor. And that's why they won the game. And when it came down to, at the end, <laughs> they hit a massive shot. And Michigan State came down on the other end and missed a wide open shot. And that was kind of emblematic of the entire night. Um, but I, I just want to stress this. like Aaron Henry played two minutes in the first half. Xavier Tillman and Thomas Kithier both missed extended time uh, in the half. Cassius Winston had to sit for an extended time. Rocket Watts had to sit for an extended time. Like, the rotation was absolutely, totally jacked up. And so what you got was a lot of Kentucky players, uh, first-run guys, first-unit guys, playing extended minutes against Michigan State's backups when that game was really setting out, when it was being established. So it's tough for me to be like, yes, Kentucky just beat Michigan State. It's like, well, yeah, they did, but they beat the backups for a good amount of time, and then it was pretty even when the starters were in, and I think Michigan State kind of had the better of it at times, and Kentucky had the better of it, and then they hit a big shot at the end. Weird game. Totally weird game, and I'm not going to be gleaning anything long-term in terms of like, well, uh-oh. Uh, but there are there are certainly things that we need to keep a, a close eye on, and one is uh, perimeter shooting, three-point shooting, and like guys, this is a total. This might be the worst three-point shooting game Michigan State has the entire season. I would actually put if you made me bet right now, will Michigan State have a game this bad shooting from the perimeter the rest of the year, and gave me odds on it? I would put my money on no. They finished five of twenty-six from three, nineteen point two percent, and there were, I don't know, ten wide-open looks that they missed, like wide-open looks that they missed. Uh, and it's, you know, you got to adjust from losing McQuaid. 
Hen, uh, uh, Langford's not there to bring up some slack with his 40% shooting. Kenny Goins wasn't the most consistent shooter, but could give you uh, a couple of shots and would, you know, wouldn't go over and, you know, shoot 34, 35% over the long haul. So it was at least a, a contributor there. And that's something that early going, it looks like Michigan State's going to have to find a way to work through. But Cassius Winston shot one of seven from three. Xavier Tillman goes 0 for three. Uh, Gabe Brown goes two for six. Marcus Bingham missed bad on his. Malik Hall had a wide open shot. He missed bad. Rocket Watts missed bad on two of them. Aaron Henry made a nice three, uh, but missed a couple open looks too. And like I said, a lot of open looks and just a lot of misses. And they shoot five of 26 for 19% from the perimeter. Uh, This team's not going to shoot 19% from the season. Even if they're an average three-point shooting team, like 34-35%, they probably they make four more shots, like an average shooting night. Not even a good shooting night, an average shooting night. They make four more threes, and that's 12 points, and that's 74. <laughs> like, it's just, it was a, a weird night in a lot of ways, but they shot extra bad. And that's not something that I think you have to worry about them shooting 20%, obviously. That is an extreme outlier game. What can be a concern is that you will have individual games like this, maybe not this bad, but a game where you shoot, you know, 23%, 27% on high volume, and it's a close game, and you need to know, you, you know, you got, just like they had uh, against Kentucky, an open look, you're down five, get it to two, an open look, you're down four, get it to one, an open look, you're down three, tie the game, and they just don't go in. And that's something that McQuaid really... Uh, that might be the single biggest spot where McQuaid has missed is that sort of clutch shot late in the game, need it in a big spot, um, you know, especially on the break, especially on a kick out where, you know, maybe Gabe Brown can, can step into that role at some point uh, as probably the best pure shooter on the team. Um, you know, and he did go two for six, but that's something that they're they're missing right now, and it's something to definitely keep an eye on as they move forward. You know, and just as bad as this was, it's math. It's going to even out. Michigan State's going to shoot fifty percent from three at some point in the next month, <laughs> and it's just going to be like, wow, this team shoots the lights out. So I'm a little bit more concerned, just a teeny bit more concerned about the shooting than I was going into this. I wasn't concerned at all. I'm a teeny bit more concerned, but I'm still really not all that concerned. Uh, We've seen it from Cassius. Cassius can shoot it. He goes one of seven. Xavier Tillman can shoot it. I know it's unproven still, um, but an 0 for 3 start, he went 2 for 4 in the exhibition game. You know, that that may happen with him, but I think he's just as liable to go 2 of 3 from 3 the next game. Rocket Watts is going to find that shot. He absolutely is. We're going to talk more about Rocket. If we don't get to him today, um, we'll get to him more later in the week. Really, like, you couldn't put a kid into a tougher spot for his first game as a collegiate player, um, having to play against probably the best defensive backcourt in the country. It was total baptism by fire with him, 0 for 4, got his shot stuffed at the rim, missed pretty badly on a couple threes, had some turnovers, um, and it's just a, a really tough spot for him. Like, he's not someone I'm worried about long-term uh, scoring. The kid scored 64 points in a high school game last year, and it wasn't against some crap team. It was against St. Ed's, which is uh, a high school sports powerhouse in Cleveland, a huge school that just has tons of D1 athletes rolling through there. 
uh, and he put up 64 on him last year. Like the kid can score, he'll figure it out. Uh, it's been, by all reports, he's been sort of struggling with the shot, but I think he does enough right now that he can impact the game positively, and he'll keep it going. But you know, the shooting wasn't there for him. That shooting's gonna come. Um, you know, Gabe Brown is two for six. Uh, that's just you know on the the negative side of his sort of regression line, if you will. Some nights he's going to go two of six, some nights he's going to go four of six, uh, and that's just how it is going to work out for him. So just a tough night for everyone to have an off-shooting night. <laughs> when they needed a bucket, they just couldn't get it from the perimeter because everybody was missing threes. And I think there are still enough guys where they'll be able to get it to a point where they're a, a pretty good perimeter shooting team. Uh, it just wasn't there. And honestly, they didn't really shoot it well anywhere else. They shot 39% from the floor as a team, 72% from the line, which is not good enough. Just an all-around bad shooting performance, but I don't think they're a bad shooting team. Uh, I think they'll be able to sort of rebound from that and get things going. You know, it's opening night. It was a weird game. Nobody got into a flow. Nobody got into a rhythm. You're at Madison Square Garden. You're playing an outstanding defensive team. Like, you go from Albion to Kentucky, there's not a bigger jump in defensive prowess uh, for an opponent than going from Albion to Kentucky. So whoever, I forget who Michigan State plays next, but whoever they play next, they're going to be like, oh, God, this is so easy. There's no one even guarding me. Like, I feel like I'm on an open gym. It's just, it's, and honestly, it's good to have this sort of thing happen right off the jump because... In his own little way, I think Tom Izzo is like, yeah, good, good. Reading the press clippings, thinking you're number one, good, good. <laughs> Just like in that sort of way. He's going to drop 1,900 fat and sassies before they play Seton Hall in a few weeks. Um, so, yeah, the, the shooting there is something that we're, we're definitely keeping an eye on, but it's not something that I'm you know, jumping off the ledge thinking that, oh, God, they can't shoot. Like They'll be able to shoot. Cassis is going to shoot better. Tillman's going to shoot better. Henry Brown, Rocket Watts, Arns, they're all going to shoot a little bit better than they did today. Everybody had an off night, and that's just sort of tough to uh, overcome. All right, let's pause here just for a second. I want to talk about some positive things uh, as well. There's just It's tough. There's so much to get into from this game, and we will talk more about this um, on tomorrow's show and then you know, it, it, it's this weird little uh, few weeks here. We're sort of blending basketball and football together. I maybe won't get into as much basketball stuff as I will later in the season because I do have to talk about Michigan State playing Illinois, <laughs> unfortunately. But there will be a little bit of a blending here um, the next few weeks. And then once football goes away, uh, we really get into the nitty gritty in basketball and get in depth on a lot of stuff. So a little bit of a fly by the seat of the pants here with hoops, but plenty of things still to talk about with this. We'll talk about some positive things uh, and, you know, some negative stuff. Uh, you've got to talk about Tillman and, and Henry and their sort of weird games as well uh, here in the third segment. So we'll do that in just a minute. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman complete an online visit today to connect with a doctor and take care of it. Just go to getroman.com slash lock to get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. Okay, so Cassius is still Cassius. That's pretty good. <laughs> he he got in, he was a little passive to start, and sometimes sometimes he does that. Sometimes he's just kind of feeling it out, seeing what's going on, uh, letting the game come to him. 
processing what he needs to do. He's very much, um, he's like a, he's very cerebral in the way he sort of approaches a game and figures things out and is doing like, okay, what are they doing? How are they playing me? And then there's always a point where it's just like, all right, go win for us. <laughs> and he uh, made some huge plays down the stretch in winning time. And unfortunately, Michigan State just wasn't able to get over the hump, but he held them in it. He's going to be totally fine again. That's He's not going to face a, a more difficult challenge in a total defensive backcourt. Um, we're not going to get too into the weeds, but like they were, they were just doubling the hell out of pick and rolls with Cassius, giving him no space and, and leaving the second man there for super long and making him get the ball out of his hands. And he did, and he found guys when he was able to. And unfortunately... Uh, there was a missed shot or there wasn't a shot. There were guys in that situation that would get it. And and Kentucky's rotations were really good off of it because you throw it to the wing, the guy from the post rotates out, and then the guy in the backside rotates to the post. It's a real quick thing, and Kentucky was right on it. And you got to make two quick, good passes there to kind of go bing, 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 back to the opposite corner. And Michigan State just wasn't able to do that. That's something that comes with reps and playing more and more and more, and it'll come. But just stuff like that, like defense kind of has an advantage early in the season when it comes to beating uh, a double team on a pick and roll like that and then passing through it and out of it to the opposite corner. Like it's just, it takes time. So I thought Cassius was good. That, that was nice to see. Aaron Henry was, uh, when he was able to play in the game, <laughs> He was really outstanding. He picks up the two fouls and sits for like 1730 of the first half and then took a little bit to get rolling in the second half. But what a difference maker that kid is when he's going. Um, he gets to the lane. Uh, he's awesome on the fast break. I think he's just going to keep getting better and better. He attacks the rim and I thought he looked a lot more composed and in control uh, than he did at times last year. Last year, he would kind of go to the rim, get into the lane and you'd be like, okay, now what? <laughs> Like I got here now, what? Uh, he had a purpose. Um, made some really nice passes on driving kicks uh, as well. Finished at the rim. Had some really nice moves. Had great footwork on that little post thing, which he sort of picked up at the end of last season. They figured out like, hey, if we kick it to Henry in the post, uh, he can kind of go to work on some wings uh, and post ups. And he did that again. Had a nice bucket. Missed the second one that he had done there, but still got himself a good look. Uh, and then hit that really nice three, uh, quick release, uh, confident release, just not even a thought and, and banged it in. And so that was really nice to see. Uh, he needs to bring that for extended periods. He needs to play like that consistently, and he will be a first-round pick if he does that. But he can be such a difference maker um, and someone who will fill up the stat sheet. Played really well on the perimeter defensively. I, I thought um, looks improved there as well. And it, it was good last season, especially at the end. Um, I think you, you saw certainly flashes of just what a difference maker he can be. Uh, and especially being able to take some offensive creativity pressure off of Cassius Winston. That is going to be uh, really important because, you know, Rocket's going to, Rocket will get there, but he's going to have to learn. And uh, Foster Lawyer's minutes were uninspiring. He turned it over, had to travel, didn't create, kind of looked a little frantic, a teeny bit ahead of where he was last year, but still sort of the same thing. And that was a bummer to see. Really, really tough spot for everyone in the backcourt. Um, I think Foster will do better against worse opponents, but he needs to be able to come into a game like that and hang for eight minutes and be composed run the offense and not 
be just trying to get away from defenders for the first 24 seconds of the shot clock. So I was a little disappointed in that, but I'm not jumping off the bandwagon or anything. Um, I thought Gabe Brown defensively looked so much better already. You can tell um, much more confident in what he's supposed to be doing, where he's supposed to be, and that's half the battle. That was half the battle for him last year. It was just like kind of looking around like where okay where do I wait what and it just it happens really fast that jump can be really fast uh it, it just he looked a lot better he looked confident on the defensive end he looked confident on the offensive end as well he took 10 shots six from deep um caught the ball and put it up and that's good he's gonna hit shots and if he's playing defensively uh well that he can be a good defender because he had moments where he looked really good um, with his length and he's got some athleticism. Um, he can be a really good player for them and, and the shot's going to be there. You know, I don't see him ever as like a, a drive, a dribble drive and kick playmaker with the ball in his hands like we're seeing with Henry, but that's fine. Um, he doesn't have to, to do that. He can be a spot up shooter, hit a shot and then play, you know, your typical sort of three and D guy, grab some rebounds, um, he grabbed three rebounds. I'd like to see him hit the offensive glass a little bit. But other than that, I, I thought he looked good. Just didn't hit quite as many shots as he would have liked to. Had one bad long two early in the shot clock. But other than that, I was fine with his shot selection. Went up for a dunk that he was just like, yeah, I'm just going to try to throw down the greatest dunk ever. <laughs> I liked seeing that. A uh, little bit ambitious, but still I like the mindset of it. I thought Kithier was solid. Just played a Thomas Kithier game. Made all his shots made his free throw, grabbed some rebounds, uh, scrapped it up, drew some fouls, and just did his thing. He's really important to this team, uh, and he does a really good role, or does a really good job sort of filling his role as that energy glue guy who you can truly count on. And I'm really, uh, I'm happy to to have him around. And as soon as he gets that face mask off, I, I think he'll be even better because he was fidgeting with that thing, and it can be a pain. Um Oh yeah, I wanted to talk about Bingham too, real quick here before we end, and, and gosh, there's just so much to get to. Um, I thought Marcus Bingham, compared to the expectations I had, I guess, going into this, kind of outperformed them. Um, I don't want to say it was like a breakout or anything, but he had 7.6 rebounds, turned it over a couple of times, and went 1 of 4 from the line, which like, I said it to this way to someone on Twitter, if the shooting with Bingham is the thing we're worried about the most, I think you're in a good spot with him. He looked so much better just defensively, being in the right spot, standing up to someone, getting good positioning on opponents' post touches, not getting bullied around like at all like he was last year. He boxed out well. Um, he rebounded I thought really strongly drew drew a foul, drew a couple of fouls, got to the line four times, ran decently well in transition, finished, uh, finished a nice lob. He, he can definitely uh, do stuff in the pick and roll where he can get to the lane and Cassius can get it to a spot for him and he can finish lobs uh, because he's big, he can jump, and he's got a seven foot five wingspan. So he can absolutely be a rim diver and finish lobs. Um, and, and the shooting, we've seen him shoot. We know he can shoot. I think there were times where he just like, you looked at him and the way he was sort of acting and, and moving around and his facial expression, he seemed really pumped up to me. Like he was just amped, like ready to go. Like he had a good stretch. He's like, yeah, I'm doing it. Let's do this. And then he had a shot and he was just like, yeah, I'm shooting it. Like just fired up <laughs> and like shot it long, <laughs> like <laughs> settle in. 
like calm down, take a deep breath and settle in. And he got gassed and he was gassed when he missed a couple of free throws. And that's something that will come. He played more minutes than anyone probably thought he was going to. Um, and the conditioning is going to get better and the free throw shooting, I think is going to be fine. The three point shooting is going to be fine. But if he's able to come in, give you a, a, a efficient shooting on offense and rebound and block some shots and provide good energy, like that's awesome. He could be huge if he takes what he did and, and builds on it. Now he had some bad turnovers, um, had an air ball, <laughs> right? I think you're going to get some of that with him as he's learning because he's still raw. You can see it. You can sort of see the potential. You can see him do some things um, and you can see why he is still not someone who's starting, not someone who's going to play 28 minutes a game for this team because you're going to get some of the, the the bad with the good. But I think over time, the good will outweigh the bad. And I was, I was pleasantly surprised um, at just how he held up out there. Like he was not at all a liability down low, especially on the glass. I thought he did a good job there. And positionally, he was solid and he contested shots. He didn't get any blocks, um, but he definitely altered shots at the rim. And, you know, uh, there was a few missed call or missed uh, shots from Kentucky because of his presence there. Uh, and he didn't have any fouls. He didn't pick up fouls. He was the only dude who could stay on the floor as a big for extended runs. And that's, you know, he got gassed, but um, I think he really did a, a nice job and it's something to build on. Kithier still your starting power forward. He just does so many things that are important to this team. And he, and he does play well with Tillman, uh, like Izzo has talked about, and he's super smart and, and is the best option right now. But if Marcus Bingham can take what he did and build on it, get some shooting going, cut down a little bit on the mistakes and keep building and building, I think at some point he's going to force his way into more minutes this year. And that's the, the, the highest upside this team has is if Marcus Bingham is your starting four and is just someone who becomes a pick-and-roll terror, blocks shots, grabs rebounds, defends uh, with purpose, alters shots that he doesn't block, and is just a solid, rangy guy who can just be a terror or on the rim for opposing teams. That would be fantastic. That would be great. And... For I, I, I wasn't optimistic coming into this season. Um, I shouldn't say that. I wasn't, like, if you put it on a scale, like, I'm not glass half empty with him, but I was like, eh, we need to start seeing it soon. I think we started seeing it a teeny bit here against Kentucky, and I think we'll, we'll I hope we'll start seeing it more and more uh, as we progress through the uh, non-conference here. All right, that'll do it for today's show. Thanks so much for listening to Locked on Spartans. It is one in the morning. I am so tired. I want to go to bed. Um, so if I, you know, if anything I said was like weird or bad, like I'm just kind of tired. <laughs> Reminder to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. We'll be back tomorrow. I think we'll see. I'm going to try to get Sheehan back on because I want to get his thoughts on this game. I'm going to just get some people and get their thoughts on, on this game. Maybe I'll hit up Matt Hapner as well. We'll see. Um, but I, I will talk more about this game. We'll, we'll maybe do a little bit of Michigan State, Illinois talk. Um, but I might just save that all for uh, Friday. We'll see. Maybe like two segments of basketball, one segment of football tomorrow, something like that. Segment and a half of each. We'll, we'll mix it in, but we'll figure it out. Definitely some basketball talk, definitely some football talk tomorrow. So we will, uh, we'll be back tomorrow with another episode of Lockdown Spartans. We'll see you then.